Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this first message in this new series. This series is, is called The Spirit of Adoption, a study of our inheritance and rewards. And I am telling you, this is something that's going to fire you up. It's going to get you excited. It will help bring you back to that. You remember that urgency that you had when you first came to Jesus, that passion that worked inside you? Well, for many people, that passion goes away. And a lot of why it goes away is because there are things that we come to believe that first and foremost would just naturally make us lose our passion. But also there are things that we come to believe that religion teaches us that actually diminishes the Holy Spirit's capability of working and moving in our life. Now, I just finished a great series on the Holy Spirit. It's called The Spirit and the Power. And I'm telling you that that series was all about why we need to be looking at, relying on, dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to move in us and in the world around us and to bring an incredible move of God to the world today. Uh, and it is just a phenomenal teaching. And if you're interested in that, you can go back and you watch the videos for free. I think I've got about eight videos uh, on our website, drjimrichards.com. But I've also got about 60 hours of personal in-depth training that you can that you can check out if you want to look at that before you step into this. Now, this series, this is not going to be a whole series about the Holy Spirit, but this very first message is about our adoption as sons. And all of that is, in fact, a work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look at some of the things that happens to us that uh are just so phenomenal it's almost unbelievable now when we think about adoption as sons most of us have traditionally looked at the concept of uh or compared that to the concept of getting born again and we've actually made it synonymous with getting born again now i have adopted children and for me, that is a very deep emotional subject. And the idea of adopting them into my life and into my family uh, meant that I accept them wholeheartedly into my heart. And as far as I'm concerned, they are my children as much as my biological children are my children because I chose them. And so, so I do, I have that deep affinity for, for the concept of adoption. But in time, I came to realize that adoption is not about when we come into the family of God. Coming into the family of God is a birth process because, see, we are not uh, unnatural children of God. We have been born by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is working and moving in our life, and, uh, uh, and we were born of the Spirit of God, of the seed of the Holy Spirit, so we are his natural children. And so adoption is actually about something else. 
Now, don't get upset and don't feel like you have to lose the value of that concept. But by, by making the new birth and adoption synonymous, you actually unintentionally, to some degree, devalue both of those concepts. Because the reality of it is, every word of God is important. Every word of God is designed to bring us an aspect of truth, reality, and life. And so when we start making different words synonymous, then each of the words lose some of their value. They lose some of what they can bring to our life, what they can bring to the quality of our life. So I want to dive into this subject of adoption, and I want to take you to a whole new dimension of what God has done for you, what God is doing for you. And I'm telling you, it's going to bring you to a whole new appreciation and passion for what the Holy Spirit is attempting to bring about in our life. Now, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus talks about this, and, and of course, we're using English words to understand this. You know, Jesus talked about the helper, and of course, that word helper comes from the Greek word paraclete. A paraclete is someone uh, who is called alongside to help. So the Holy Spirit is in us, and he is with us to help us in every aspect of our relationship with God, in every aspect of how we experience God. The Holy Spirit is a teacher, but what's interesting is the Holy Spirit is more than a simple conveyor of information, because the Holy Spirit takes information, and he actually will, if we will yield to him, learn to recognize and follow him, he will bring that information into our heart so that we get uh, true revelation, so that we get so the, that we not only get the revelation, but we get the understanding, and then ultimately we get the wisdom. And, you know, wis wisdom is always about practical application. And so the practical application, this is not a works type thing. The practical application is when the supernatural power of God by the Holy Spirit works in you to manifest whatever truth is that you're studying or that you're seeking to understand. Now, a manifestation, and there's so many times in the New Testament where you'll see the word reveal or, you know, some similar word that it just, it sounds like it's, it's kind of a, that's kind of lame. It just sounds like, okay, God's going to show us what this really means. No, many times the word revealed is the word manifest. And manifest, uh, a manifestation is where you take something that exists in another realm. And you bring it into this realm and you make it visible. You make it tangible. You make it experiential. And so manifestation is what moves you from this realm of information into this realm of experience where you are, where it's not just information to you now, it is actually life to you. Now, I've said this a lot of different ways for the last, at least for the last 40 years. And uh, I, I want you to understand this information that does not uh, become a manifestation does nothing for us. It does not bring the life of God to us. It just, actually, it puts us in a situation to be weighed down, to get fat with knowledge that we can't get to work, which actually is just discouraging and frustrating in the same. Now, adoption in the scripture, and I'm going to explain adoption, biblical adoption, before we get into the passages of scriptures. Because when we get into these passages of scripture, I want you to understand what they are saying. 
I don't want to get you there, read them to you, and then go back and have to explain them to you. And it kind of kind of parcels out just a little bit of information. I know I want to bring this together. I want to get, I'm giving you a spoiler alert right now. I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning so that every word that you read will uh, mean something incredible for you. So adoption is actually about our inheritance more than it is about our birth or more than it is about coming into the family of God. Uh, if you look up the word adoption in um, the New Testament, I think you're going to find it about five times. One time, I think it's talking about the adoption of Israel uh, or the Gentiles. I can't remember. But anyhow, uh, the four other times that it talks about adoption, it is talking about the adoption as sons, and it directly links being a son to being an heir of God. And an heir of God is a person who has an inheritance. Now, this seems pretty simple and pretty straightforward, but I am telling you, you're gonna, your heart is going to explode with expectation as we talk about what that really looks like in real life. Now, in the ancient world, when a, you know, a family is, is coming together, usually the oldest son was going to be the heir. And um, as a child, he didn't live like an heir. He didn't have special privileges. In fact, as a child, there was an incredible burden laid on him to learn what his responsibilities are as the heir, apparently. You know, uh, my uncle that was the only man in my life that had a positive influence on me. It was really interesting because uh, even though I was his his favorite, I guess you'd say to some degree, he didn't, he never showed favoritism, but we, it really wasn't so much that I was his favorite. It was the fact that we had a relationship. If you really want to know the truth, I loved him. I put effort into having a relationship with him and, and he reciprocated. And so um, one of the interesting characteristics of my uncle was this, if he favored you, he required more of you than he did of anybody else. So he required more. He demanded more of me than he did my, my brother or my sister. Now, he loved my brother and my sister, and he treated them good. And really, he probably placed a lot of the same demands on them that he placed on me. But uh, because I loved him and I was in this relationship with him, when, when he placed these demands on me, I didn't get mad and pout and go home. I stayed because I loved him. I valued him. I wasn't. It wasn't like I was trying to earn something from him. This is such a paradoxical thing. You talk to some people about these kinds of things, and they immediately think you're talking about dead works, trying to earn something from God. That's, that has nothing to do with it. You know, the fear of the Lord is not about being afraid that God's going to hurt you. The fear of the Lord is where, is where you have an all. You have a respect that causes you to love and worship and adore the Father. And when you have that, then you value that relationship more than anything else. So your greatest fear would be doing anything that might damage that relationship. And that's the way it was with my uncle. I wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize that relationship. I was not going to do anything to let him down, not because I was afraid of him, but because I loved him. And actually, I loved learning. I loved learning the things that he would teach me. I, 
I don't have the time in, in this message to talk about it, but I'm telling you, he taught me things by example, and he taught me things by application. He did not teach me things theoretically. You know, when I was, uh, when I was about six years old, he got me up early one morning before he went to work. We went out into the storage room. We carried an extension ladder out into the backyard. He showed me how to make a, he got me some paint cans out. He showed me how to make a hanger for my paint cans to hang on the ladder. And he showed me how to hold the brush and, and paint the house. And he said, you're going to paint the house this week. I'm about six years old. And so he, you know, he, he showed me how to do it. I climbed up the ladder. I did it. And he watched me do it and gave me some instructions. And then he went to work. And all that week, all that week, I painted a house at about six years old. Now, I am telling you, this is the way he taught me everything. But you know what? This is exactly the way the Holy Spirit teaches us. He doesn't teach us theoretically. He doesn't try to bring us into theological revelations. He tries to bring us into truth. He tries to bring us into the wisdom, the application of truth, being able to live it so that it manifests in our life. And that's where we experience a supernatural power. And I'm just telling you the number one reason people do not experience a supernatural aspects of God the way they want to is because they don't really want to put truth into practice. They want God to make it work for them without them doing anything. Well, that is just absolutely not the way it happens. So, so the heir, all of his life, even though he was the heir apparent, all of his life, he had a greater responsibility put on. He had to learn things that the other children didn't have to learn. His other siblings didn't have to learn because all of his life, he was being developed for one thing, and that one thing was to take over the family business and to manage the family business so that his father would have an income and have resources, his father and his mother, all the rest of their lives, so it would benefit all of his siblings. So this, this was an incredible responsibility that you could not shirk because it, it, it affected everybody in your family. It was a big deal, and it was a big responsibility. Yeah, I've often talked about the fact that the Bible calls us uh, priests and kings, but interestingly, we're never trained how to be a priest. We're never trained how to be a king. Uh, you know, as believers, we come into this and we see these things that talk about, you know, we are sons, uh, we are heirs, uh, we are disciples. And, and you go through all of these functional terminologies that describe who we are in relationship to God and we assume, since God calls us the, by these descriptive names, we assume then that it automatically happens. No, God calls us by those things. But remember, he calls those things that be not as though they are. And so he calls us disciples, even when we're really not living as disciples. He calls us priests and kings, even when we are not living as priests and kings. And the idea is, is that we will eventually believe these things. A king in the ancient world, from the time a child could walk and talk, everything he did revolved around learning how to be a king, how to talk like a king, how to carry yourself like a king, how to have the posture of a king, how to, you know, how to dress like a king, how to make decisions like a king. And this is the reason that you would have children at incredibly young ages sometimes stepping onto the throne and making incredible decisions. You know, there were some kings uh, in, in Israel that are like 14, 15 years old were the 
some of the best kings that ever ruled and reigned in all of Israel. Why? Because their entire life, they were groomed as a king. So in the family, particularly if the family had resources, there was going to be a tutor uh, or a, a teacher or instructor, whatever you choose to call it. The Bible calls it a tutor. Now, this tutor, all he did was disciple the heir apparent. That's all, that, that's all he did. His entire, entire life, even though the heir of the parent was such a paradox because he was the heir, but he had not yet stepped into uh, his role. He had not yet matured and developed to that place. And at some point in time, when the father was ready to, to retire, one of two things would happen. Either the father would say, you are ready for this, and I want you to step into your role. I want you to step into your inheritance. Or he would disinherit him and skip over him, maybe to a younger sibling, and give the leadership of the family and the responsibility of the family to this, to this younger person. But the, here, here is the point. The tutor or the teacher trained, developed, but here's the key word, discipled the heir to be ready to step in his role. And this becomes crucially important when you realize that Jesus never told us to go out and make converts. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making converts, but I'm telling you this, we weren't called to make converts, we were called to make disciples. People who become converts usually convert because they're in a crisis. And one of the things you know about crises, conversions, is when the crisis is over, the conversion is over. Decisions that are made in crises do not continue once the crisis is gone. You know, I had thousands of people uh, get born again, uh, and I never preached a salvation message. I always preached a discipleship message. So even though people would come that were in crises, they were, you know, they, they're going through a divorce. They, you know, they just got out of jail. They were struggling with drugs. I mean, you know, any number of they, 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 they were there as a crisis. And uh, I wouldn't, I'm not saying I would turn them away if they came and wanted to get born again, but I am saying that I would give them tools from the word of God. They would take those tools and they would work and their life would start getting better. And when they started realizing that their life got better because they were trusting and following God, then they made a decision and they knew that this decision would be the pathway out of their crises, but it really wasn't the crises that made them come to Jesus. It was the crises that made them start searching, but it was the power of discipleship, the power of how the word of God can work in our lives when we, when we seek to put it in practice. So let's look, if you will, just for a few moments here, at Romans 8.14. Now, Romans 8.14 is the key verse here that we want to look at. And if you read this verse by itself, it says, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now, if you lift this verse out of context and you, and you don't put it, put it in context with everything that's being said, it just sounds like I said, well, wait a minute. So if I'm not led by the Holy Spirit, I'm, I, I'm not saved. No, this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about stepping into your place as a son and an heir who has an inheritance to manage. And so uh, we, we want to leave this in the context. 
Now, when it talks about being led by the Holy Spirit, this is so important. I want you to realize the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. The Holy Spirit is the tutor that comes along to always help you, always guide you, uh, help, you know, help you make decisions, lead you in who to trust, who not to trust, what to do, what not to do. The Holy Spirit is always there working with you because he is that tutor. You know, uh, under the Old Testament, the law and the commandments, in a certain sense, they were a tutor until righteousness comes. But for us, we have a personal tutor, the Holy Spirit, who is always teaching us, always leading us. So the leading of the Holy Spirit is a form of tutoring, which is preparing us for one day stepping in our role as a son and uh, managing our inheritance. Now, again, we are qualified for our inheritance, so technically we are sons. But there's a, again, this manifestation principle is so important because there is a difference from legally being a son and an heir and the grace of God working from my heart and empowering me and leading me in how to be an heir uh, and, and a son. So now let's put this in the scripture. I mean, this scripture in the context. If we don't get into the context, we will, who knows where we'll land with it. So Romans 8, verse 12. And by the way, actually, the context for this passage of scripture goes all the way back to Romans 6, where it's talking about whether you're carnal minded or whether or not you're spiritually minded. Now, carnal just means natural. That's all. Carnal is not wicked, it's not evil, it's not impure, it's just natural. The natural mind always looks at the natural world, at the natural way to resolve things, but it also always looks at the flesh because our body, these desires, the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. That word lust just means desire. It doesn't mean anything super wicked, but all of these desires that we have in our natural body, including, you know, the Bible says that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is all there is in the world. There isn't anything else out. When, when you leave the realm of the kingdom of God, those are the factors that you are left to manage your life. And so, so the natural mind is always concerned with fulfilling these natural desires. You hungry? I'm, you know, then we got to eat. You know, uh, uh, if there's something you want, we got to get it. Uh, if there's some, if you're kind of your ego is kind of being hurt a little bit, then we got to find a way to boost your ego. And, and so, so the natural mind is all about taking care of and fulfilling these natural desires. The spiritual mind, however, looks to God, uh, to understand where the Holy Spirit is leading, you know, what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and the, and the spiritual mind is always focusing on where is God leading me? Where is God taking me? We are looking after the spiritual aspects of, of who we are. So in Romans uh, 8, 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh, live according to the flesh. For if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here we are. We are right back to being spiritually minded or carnally minded, one or the other. Now, I want you to understand something here. I'm racing through a lot of this stuff, but if you if you get this series, you know, I always uh, support all of my free video teaching with incredibly in-depth series. And with this with this series on the spirit of adoption, 
uh, a study of our heritage and our reward. I, I, I'm going to have 60 hours of in-depth personal teaching to help you dive deeper, quicker. And all you got to do to get it, you can download it tonight and you can be studying right along with these videos that I'm making. But I'm going to give you as much, and it's not just an overlap of this, by the way, it has some of this kind of teaching in it, but it also has some things that is not, we just don't have time to put into all these videos. So interesting thing happens here. Many people talk about the fact that they understand that, you know, that they got to put to death the works of the flesh. They understand that they've got to uh, uh, take up their cross. But the honest truth is, even when people talk about putting to death the works of the flesh, they actually have no concept of how that happens. Now, one, one of the things that religion gave us, one of the perversions that religious gave us, almost every work of the flesh, if you went to a Pentecostal church, if you went to a charismatic church, if you went to a word of faith church, or almost any church that claims to be quote, quote, spirit-filled or spirit-led. And if you went in and said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I've been involved in witchcraft. I got news for you. They had body slam you and start trying to cast demons out of you in a heartbeat. Well, you know, I saw this back in the 70s. It's like, it's like people say, well, I've been involved in idolatry. I've been involved in witchcraft. I've been involved in Satanism. And I'm telling you, they would wear these people out trying to cast demons out of them. And so, I, you know, I, thought, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was scripture. I got with some of my buddies. I'm like, so if somebody came to you and said they've been in witchcraft, what would you do? And they said, well, cast the devil out of them. I said, well, how would that meet the need? And I said, because that's demonic. I said, well, really? And I'd show them in Galatians. No, this is a work of the flesh. You know, you don't get a symptom checklist to identify who is demon-possessed or demon-oppressed or whatever terminology you want to use. You have to have discerning of spirits for that to happen. And if a spirit does manifest itself in somebody, and you can recognize it, and you know what to do. But most of what has happened for the last 50 years at altar calls at churches with people throwing themselves on the floor and screaming and crying and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying there was nothing legitimate, but I'm saying the great majority of it was really people just giving into their emotions, exacerbated by everything else because it was a work of the flesh. They just could not find the freedom that they needed to find. The truth is, all you have to do is put your attention on the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God is leading you, which means your back has been turned to these things of the flesh, just taking your attention off of them causes all their power now, because emotionally, we know that wherever you put your attention is what determines what kind of emotions you're going to have. So all these emotions that make you think that you're demon-possessed, all these emotions that you just think are, you know, are, are, are just something you can't control, the only reason you're having those emotions is you're, that's where you're putting your attention. You know, the more you try to not think about something, not think about something, not think about something, you got to think about it to remind yourself not to think about it. So you never take your attention off of it. I got news for you. When you put your attention on the spirit of God and you start making this journey with the spirit of God, your back will be turned to these things of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will be leading you in a direction that takes you away from those things. He will tutor you. He will teach you. He will empower you about how to walk right out of those things and all those things will die. 
Listen, I want to invite you to share this with your friends. If you're watching this on Facebook, be sure and like it. Uh, and go to drjimrichards.com, check out all the resources we got. And I'll be back talking to you about more about this next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.